0: listener
1: production Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong, and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago reaching out to people who I admire who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries so I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. In this episode, we explore a few of the myths versus the genuine challenges for female leaders and when to just get on with it. Our guest, Margie Hartley, is a career coach and facilitator. She has worked at senior levels in 11 of the top 20 ASX listed companies and has a record of getting results. Margie, what is, and welcome firstly, but what is
0: an executive coach? Thank you for having me, Helen. What is an executive coach? What a question. It's so true. I get asked it a little bit. But the world of work is really complex, as we know. And increasingly, there's a potential for us to be quite lonely in our roles as leaders. So um, I would say coaching is a collaboration between an executive and then a trained, experienced coach like myself. And we look to help people grow, learn and develop. That might mean looking at what you could keep stable for someone or what you want to change. And it's really about being a um, neutral third party with no agenda that actually is enabling that person to be their best self, curate their best self.
1: How many men versus women do you coach out of interest? How many women? What's the gender balance in your in your uh, clients? It's about 50-50. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. So what are the most common problems that people come to you with? It's mm, a really good question. I would say, what's next? People are Constantly looking at how they can um, grow and develop, not only in their roles, but what does the future hold for me? And we know that that's a big question, Um, and uh, so that's always on top of mind, particularly around career. The others are things like relationship issues, style issues, personal development issues. What am I doing that I need to do, you know, differently now in this new role or circumstance through transition? The others. Stress, burnout um, and probably perception by others around their leadership and how they change. So this morning I've had three calls about developing the emotional intelligence in leaders who are highly technically competent. So so those sort of things.
1: So there's been much of a change in the last decade. We hear a lot about stress and burnout now. Are you seeing Mm. more of that? Yes. Why do do you think that's the
0: case? The simple answer is yes. And I would say the things that have changed are the 24-7 nature of work, uh, lack of boundaries, lack of ability to um, express boundaries to within a workplace, um, excess information and this speed creates anxiety in people. And so people might work really, really, really hard. Um, they're not recovering over the holidays. I've got a firm belief. That actually holidays are to have a holiday. At the moment, I'd say 90% of the people that I coach have a holiday to recover. And I don't think that's right. I think we need to be able to work sustainably and holidays are there to enjoy ourselves and choose to do things with our, you know, loved ones. But this speed at work and the um, pressures um, are are really showing in people. So what advice do you give? Well, as a coach, I tend not to give advice. Mm. I'm there for people to find their way out of their own problems. So um, we look at uh, when they've successfully navigated their way through that sort of change previously. And then we also always look at what's happening within the system of their work and the competing interests. And sometimes, you know, a work and family are some of those things that people find really quite challenging To fulfill their roles and their sense of identity about themselves in the workplace and then as a parent and i think those competing interests often are causing anxiety so i would work with people to raise their awareness and then to make some choices both the way they think and the way they behave do you
1: see a marked difference between men and women in these areas oh
0: yeah there's lots to argue about here science says we're biologically programmed um, and that there are no differences. That can also be argued, but we, we're socialised differently, right? So, this is the key point for me around that. And therefore, there are gender norms, and some of those gender norms are more extreme in different industries. So, if I'm a woman in mining, there might be a very different experience for me than a woman in a startup. So when you ask about comparing, and you can hear it in my voice with uh, when I took <laughs> my big breath there, but, you know, when we're comparing women to men, I would say that the women uh, who are coming to me are often finding it challenging being a woman in what has been uh, traditionally male space and that there is no space for them. So I, like, I talk about space a lot. Right? What and do you mean by that? Mm. So making space for everyone is what inclusion is all around. Making uh, not just it's safe, but there is a place for all gender uh, representations or cultural representations, everybody. So as a woman walking into a room, if there's not space for her to be herself and to speak, then the environment or the system is what needs to change, right? And so it's really, it can be challenging for women. And we have to, Approach this from multiple angles.
1: It must be very difficult for you as a coach to somehow come up with a strategy for a woman who's struggling at work. Firstly, she's already struggling. Then change the space. Mm. Is that right? Mm.
0: So we would uh, rec- recognising the environment in which you work and the and the situation in which you're working and then being able to raise your awareness about who you are and how you show up in that space and how you want to show up in that space uh, is the important thing. So um, then then we put strategies in place to achieve what you need to achieve. Can you give me an example? Uh, Yeah, I can. There's a client I've got at the moment who is involved in a highly technical environment that is very male. And when she comes in, she tends to feel like there's not space for her to be herself. She is uh, talked over. There's a lot of banter. There's a lot of talk about things that don't interest her. So once we acknowledge that that's the environment that's been created, actually, what what does she want to happen? Does she want to be noticed more? Does and so really, the simplest strategies were to not um, raise the awareness of her co-workers about what what it meant to be in that environment and also the challenges that she was feeling, but then to actually uh, choose to step into it and to be a bit more confident, to be able to have her voice heard, and we worked on that. And it's been really successful. She's able to come in and feel like herself, be confident, and walk in just because she doesn't want to feel like the victim sitting in the corner with no room that would be really common. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, in the various environments, uh, absolutely. However, I've got women who don't feel like there's space for them in a room with other women. Ah, tell me about that. So women who are dominant, confident, taking up the oxygen and the and again, I'm going to keep talking about space, but taking up all the room, all the space in a room, uh, in a meeting, talking over people and not allowing space for others to work together, dominating it's a
1: different issue, um, women when they're all working with women. Do you see that as a a
0: common challenge for the people you coach? Look in some environments, the all women environments and the all male environments, they create a homogeneity that's not, um, not not productive because we're not got diversity and we don't not looking at other ways of thinking. So yes, um, the all female environment, I think we need to be very explicit about the rules of engagement, why we're here, what we believe in, what are the normative behaviours that mean that we're going to be a great team together, how do we support each other, and what's not acceptable and what is acceptable. When those things aren't talked about, Helen, the bad behaviour creeps in. And what do you see as bad behaviour? Great question. It's the gossip, it's the I've made it to the top and now I'm going to push the ladder down behind me because I don't want anyone to compete with me. Um, The women who aren't supporting other women to be their best selves. So, and that doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, but I I believe that there needs to be an explicit expression amongst women who are moving into these traditionally patriarchal male environments to support each other where they can. I think of Julia Gillard, getting her, I don't know what magazine it was, was it the Woman's Weekly? I mean, she was on the front cover. Were you there then? Yes. And well, isn't that funny that I thought of that mm-hmm. uh, as we were talking? It really, really impressed upon me how many women wanted to comment on her lack of fruit in a fruit bowl. And that was all that they could concentrate on. And I would call it out a lot. And I think as women, we need to be held accountable for the lack of support of other women, and we need to check our own biases. And I think even Reese Witherspoon speaks in Morning Wars, one of my favourite television shows of recent times, where her character says, if I've, you know, got my tits too big or my tits are too small or my, I'm too assertive or I'm not assertive enough or I am too quiet or I'm too... there's this never seems to be an acceptance as women move into these different spaces of just being you, right? and being able to be accepted as a human with different characters.
1: Margie, is your message to
0: women listening to this podcast is to be more aware of that in themselves? Yeah, absolutely, Helen. We need to be aware of our bias. I've got three beautiful young adult daughters, 22, 23, 24. My eldest daughter works for a company called The Man Cave down in Melbourne and they do incredible work in helping young men be better men in the current world. So they improve emotional intelligence and masculinity. She's always correcting me and helping me with my bias. Now, you, you know, I'm not perfect. I might be an executive coach, but I'm still <laughs> learning. But there's, there's, we, we need to always learn and always be aware of how we might be speaking or unconsciously uh, not letting other women um, or advocating for other women. I do wonder whether... Um, it is just
1: human nature to be critical of one another.
0: Oh, we judge. We're judgmental humans. That's what we do. I think we need to check our bias because we know that um, the space has been traditionally male space and men have identified their masculinity. They've defined it. They've also di- defined uh, femininity. Mm-hmm. So we need to be really conscious as women that we're not actually defaulting our identities a male lens that that's a that's a quite a challenging thing to think about, um, and that we're we are we are identified, which doesn't mean we police each other. And I think rather than judgment or bias, we might say, Well, am I policing those women to be less than they can be? Am I judging them in a way that is limiting them?
1: And what responsibility, um, do you think we have to? helping other women into
0: positions of leadership. Mm. So here's a really good question, isn't it? So is it our responsibility? Are we as a woman, because we see other women, responsible to help other women um, into roles of uh, leadership? Well, not exclusively, but yes. I studied women's studies at Uni- Monash University in 1980, Right. And you would have seen a lot of change since then. Well, I have, but I've also seen a lot of things stagnate too. And so with daughters who've coming out the other end of, you know, four and five years at university, I've seen really extraordinary, fantastic growth and thinking amongst them and their peer group. But I also see some stagnation. And one of those things is about our responsibility to help other women. And I will always say to them that um, it's our responsibility to help humans However, we, in an environment where there is a minority or is there, there is a lack of fairness, advocacy for other women is a very, very important thing for us to do.
1: What about the stop fixing women concept uh, where organizations are challenged around trying to turn women into being less feminine and more masculine and and to, to fix them in order to, so they can be leaders of the sort that we've become used to, which often means more masculine traits. What are your thoughts about
0: that concept? I think it's crazy. I think there are opportunities for women to enjoy women's company in women's groups for professional development. That means that they can talk about goals and things in an environment that's uh, enabling for them and empowering. But this uh, concept of fixing women is, is long gone. It was a moment in time, in my view, that was uh, useful. But really, this is about allowing, again, space for everybody and women into what has been a traditionally male space in work spaces and in leadership.
1: As we step into leadership, um, should our personalities or characteristics become more dominant and assertive or just more clear?
0: (laughs) I think if we focus on characteristics like clarity, being able to communicate effectively and have a true north and a direction, have a belief about your values and where you've come from, they're much more important than saying, oh, you should be more of an extrovert. Oh, you should be more assertive in the, in these meetings. If you are a leader and your voice isn't being heard, then you would have to improve your levels of um, being heard or assertiveness. But the word assertive and aggressive has been bandied around for years about women and men. And, um, uh, you know, I think one of the sayings is if if a woman is assertive, she is deemed aggressive. And if a man's assertive, he's deemed uh, a leader.
1: It is interesting to me that leadership has... Is- changed a lot I think almost in recent years where that command and control leadership style is very out of fashion would that be the right
0: thing to say oh of course yes yes you're absolutely right so command control is not uh, considered the way to get uh, the best out of people it's not empowering it's not enabling um, it doesn't allow people for autonomy or thought and the world's moving so quickly nobody's an expert anymore you can't say I have all the knowledge in the world about cyber I have all the knowledge in the world about editing it's changing so quickly so we're all facilitators really as leaders we're all facilitators of change and growth in a business but also of connecting and enabling people to follow the path that we're looking for them to do you do that through coaching what are the common pitfalls for all leaders do you think Mm, So many. Lack of emotional intelligence, lack of connection, poor communication, poor clarity, being scared to have critical conversations, being wishy-washy. So really, clarity and connecting to people. Do
1: you ever see someone who you think, that person should just never lead a team?
0: To be really honest, like my professional opinion should be, Oh, no, everybody's got the potential to be a leader. But yes, I do. I was going to be really honest with you here. There, I just had someone yesterday, wrote it down, they said to me, "Um, Margie, I'm sure he's a good human somewhere, but he's a terrible leader. Hmm? So uh, there is potential for everyone to lead. Yes, indeed. But for some people, rising up that curve is much higher, harder and more difficult than others. And I imagine your
1: role is then to just challenge people to consider those uh, struggles and whether it's
0: worth it. Mm, Yeah, exactly. So we would ask, I would ask myself, can they change or do they know what they need to change or do they want to change? What
1: leadership strength do you think most women have that maybe men don't have? Mm, Well, this
0: is quite a debatable one because off the cuff, you would probably say the ability to connect and emotional intelligence. However... I have no survey that can give me any evidence around that. And I see plenty of women who have very little emotional intelligence and very little ability to connect with others. So I try not to go to gender stereotypes here. I think we all need to be really good humans to be great leaders. And focusing on that is incredibly important. We can draw on our abilities to empathise, though, I think if we were to sit with something. And what are the similarities between the, the sexes? Yeah, so the similarities between the sexes are everybody's trying to work hard, uh, be successful, do their best, and um, navigate what is a very complex world. So uh, the um, narcissists will be narcissists, and the yeah, underconfident will be underconfident. So I, I'm, I'm just treating everyone exactly the same. To be honest. What I will say, though, to you, Helen, and give you a clear answer on this, is that the um, equity or lack of equity about care for children is really high. And I think it's partly systemic and partly to do with old gender norms. So I see a lot of women taking the burden still, like I did, of child care organisation, emotional capital in a family, a lot of those sort of things are, I would say, continually um, knocking at the door of women's um, development.
1: And it would also be that terrible guilt and confidence and whether to apply for jobs. How do you work with a client through what is possibly the most complex issue of their lives? So how to apply for a job, do you mean? I mean, I've got a child at home. It misses me. I miss it. I've just been given a job promotion. Uh, I still do the line share of the work at home. Uh, my husband's terrific, but I still worry about book club and tuck shop and mm-hmm. all of those bits that go into being a working
0: mother. So it's overwhelming when even when you're playing that back to me and when my clients talk to me about it we try and separate and compartmentalise some of those things and make sure that it's not what we call goal conflict. So um, one of my recent clients, a wonderful human, was being um, asked to go for another job as a um, really quite a step up and a very big job for her and they were desperate for her to do this job. And she came to me and she said, I said, do you want to do it? (laughs) She said, yeah, it'd be fantastic. I said, great. So let's look what's going on in your life. And she said, but I can't do it. And I said, why is that? And she said, I've got a daughter who is not sleeping, um, a, a son who's anxious, a husband who's just taken a promotion. We worked through all the processes She came up with the idea herself and she said, I'm going to job share with somebody else down the road and I'm going to create my own role for them here as a senior person. Now they've got two general managers, not one, and she's made it so she's working three days a week. So finding different options, finding different ways to navigate what can often seem like a very difficult pathway um, to success. And the only other thing I want to say, Helen, there is, wasn't it the wonderful Quinton Bryce who said, "You can have it all, but not at the same time." And I I remind people that this is a moment in time, and that, that their mental, physical, and intellectual and spiritual health and well being is the most important thing. So if you can't live your life and save your marriage and have you know well being in this part uh, in your current job, then what can we do to adjust either of those things?
1: that does lead us a little bit towards maternity leave and um, how difficult that is for any young woman who's thinking about their career. Women are having their children later. It often lands right in the middle of the time when they're getting promoted. How does that play out uh,
0: for you with your clients? One of my favourite examples is a junior CEO. She's been in a role for three years now and she called me and said, I've been asked to apply for the CEO's role of the organisation, but I'm three months pregnant. And I said to her, do you have a chronic disease? And she said, no. And I said, well, I'm not quite sure what the problem here is. Let's think of this logically. What is it that you want she said, I want the CEO's role and I want to have a baby. I said, great. So let's work on how that can work together. So three years down the track, she successfully took off uh, nine months. Um, uh, she worked up until she had a successor in for that period. They worked out a communications plan and she went back to work. And it's it's about planning. It's about navigating that. Now, it doesn't always work perfectly. I was going to say, that sounds like Jacinda oh. Ardern. It sounds almost too good to be true. Behind the scenes, you know, the Instagram version and, and, and the end result, amazing, but lots of angst, lots of working through what is a problem. A lot of people have to deal with a lot of challenges in their personal and professional life. And I actually see the advent of maternity leave as one of the greatest enablers for women. But I do not want women to try and do everything and 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 kill themselves as a result. So pacing yourself, understanding what is right for you at any given time. I took almost eight years off with three babies under two and a half, completely surrendered to that and left behind the CEO of the comedy festival role. And um, eight years later, came back and reinvented myself. I also had some ill health, but that's my circumstances. My client who was a CEO, that's her circumstances I am passionate, though, about the normalisation of maternity leave through paternity leave. And I think those balancing and the fairness and equity is what we really need to be changing in the system, that it's normal for men to take time off with their children. I think last year, 6,000 men took paternity leave and 65,000 women took maternity leave. So there's a, a 10%.
1: What advice do you have
0: to young women listening to this podcast today for building their leadership potential? So continue to build your leadership potential through self-awareness. Understand who you are, what you want, uh, how those things fit together in your life. And um, also, you know, raise your voice. Uh, be, Be a bit brave. Educate yourself about your personal experience and others. Create a conversation with other women who can share their experiences and check yourself uh, for the negative socialised self-talk and look at the possibilities because there is always a way to achieve what you need to achieve. It's just about planning and managing the circumstances around you. And go for it. Go for it, absolutely.
1: Maggie Hartley, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, thank you on behalf of all the women that will be listening to your excellent advice today. I'm sure that they will take um, many nuggets from what you had to say. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Helen. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe. Executive Producer, Jenny Goggin. Sound Production by Darcy Thompson.